0: have your Bibles tonight, we invite you to turn with us to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We began preaching a series of messages about the church at Thessalonians out of the book of 1 Thessalonians entitled, Prepared for the Second Coming, and we certainly need to be prepared, people need to be getting ready, the Lord is coming in the rapture, there could be no doubt about it. We know that it is mentioned in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it's mentioned again in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2. I don't know that we'll be able to get all the way down to the verses that lead to that, but tonight we try to get through the first 12 verses of this chapter that is our intent. And we'll preach on this thought tonight, becoming meaningfully involved. We need to become meaningfully involved. And when you see Paul, we realize, number one, that he's got some gospel actions. Watch his gospel actions in verse one. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you, that it was not in vain. But even after that we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know at Philippi, we were bold in our God to speak unto you The gospel of God with much contention. That makes me think of the word resistance. Paul has met much resistance. We remember in Acts chapter 16, as Paul was in Troas, and he has gone as far west as he can go, and the Lord gave him a vision. It was a man of Macedonia, appearing unto him, saying, Come over and help us. And the Bible says that they immediately uh, got on a ship, and went across, put their foot for the first time into Europe, and they went 12 miles into a place called Philippi, where the Bible says that Paul saw a bunch of ladies at a Riverside prayer meeting. And he began to go down there and minister to them, and a lady by the name of Lydia, she heard the gospel, she opened her heart's door to Jesus Christ, she got saved, she had Paul share the gospel with her family, and her entire household got saved. And we have the launch of the church at Philippi. And just a little bit later, Paul is walking through the region there. It's a free colony of Rome. And he sees a fortune-telling girl. Everywhere he preaches, she's following him around, fortune-telling and, and, and saying stuff, you know, really bit a distraction. And so Paul turns and rebukes the foul spirit, the demon spirit that's in the girl, and casts the demon spirit out. And now the girl's made whole, she gets saved, and things are well. Except the people who owned her, it touched their pocketbook because she lost her gift of demonology. And now they took Paul and Silas and they tortured them, they beat them, they threw them in stocks, locked them up in the inner prison, left them there bleeding and wounded under severe attack. Again, Paul has come to Philippi into the region of Macedonia With much resistance. And there he is in the midnight hour. And what does he do? He begins to sing praises and he begins to pray and seek the face of God. And and they're not questioning. Silas didn't look over at him and say, Why did we ever come here? This was a wrong move. Why did I ever listen to you? That's not what Silas did. Silas just joined in perfect harmony and they sang and praised God together. Amen knowing that God had called them to that place. And what happened? God sent an earthquake that shook the prison, opened the prison doors, and everybody's door was open in the prison, but none of the prisoners ran out. They all stayed still. And The jailer, he was going to take his own life because he knew he's accountable for all these prisoners and their doors are open and they're going to escape, ready to take his own life, He he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. And the janitor got saved. And his household. And in a complete about face, the man who probably had helped beat Paul, the man who had no doubt mistreated Paul, now is washing his stripes to bring healing in his life. Now, Paul is a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen. And it's illegal to beat a Roman citizen. Hey, when the authorities come, Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. They went, oh, no, we have just beaten the Roman citizen. We have thrown him in prison without even a fair trial. We're in big trouble. And and they say, Paul, we're sorry that we did this. And Paul just leaves the area of Philippi, and he goes on his journey a little further, and he comes to the place of Thessalonica. And when he gets there, he's invited to the synagogue to speak. And he stands up, and he begins to preach Jesus. Jesus Christ crucified for our sins. Jesus Christ buried. Jesus Christ risen again on the first day of the week. And he was there for three straight Sabbath days. And there were many Jews there that believed. And there were even more Gentiles that began to believe. And some of the unbelieving Jews got mad because the Gentiles were hearing the gospel and the Gentiles were being saved. And that, according to them, is race inequality. And they had a real socio culture problem going on there and the attack got so great that they took the guy who had invited Paul into his home by the name of Jason and they drug him off to jail and they beat him and many other Christians and finally they had to take security from Jason and Paul agreed to go just so things would calm down and the gospel could continue on. I'm talking about a church got started out of the preacher just stopping by for three Sabbath days preaching the gospel. And Paul says again, yourselves, brethren, you know our entrance unto you, that it was not in vain. Oh, I'm thinking of a scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse number 58, the Bible says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord. Again, the devil probably tried to come and say, boy, you waste your time there. There's three Sabbath days wasted. There's, there's a tumult. There, there's chaos. There, there's problems. Oh, Paul says, my labor in the Lord's not in vain. People are getting saved. The church has been established. Lives are being changed. Thank God for it, amen. It is some gospel actions. Now, he's met with resistance. He says in verse 2, after we had suffered before, the word suffered, speaks about abuse. It speaks about attack. It speaks about aggressiveness. And he says we were shamefully entreated. That means that they were reproached. They were violently spoken of, evil spoken of. Uh, he was reproached and, and he's hauled before the authorities many, many times. And he says that's as you know at Philippi. But we were bold in our God to speak unto you the gospel of God with much contention. No matter what, he kept on preaching. So he met resistance, but he had resilience. Now I'll tell you what, there's been a lot of people down through time that's went through resistance. But the man or the woman who will continue to stand and keep serving God with resilience, you watch how God rewards that servant. You watch how God, honest, you watch how God blesses them and takes them. Look with me what he does. He said, we kept on preaching, verse number three, for our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. This is what he's saying. He said, you know what? My gospel action was to stand before you and preach to you the word of God. And though there was tumult, though there was chaos, though there was attacks, though there were threats, I remained faithful. I stood courageously. Now I'm talking about somebody. Maybe you have... Uh, launched into a new venture by faith. And you didn't see results as soon as you started. And you get the question scratching your head saying, maybe I missed it. Maybe I messed up. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should have never tried this. But I promise you, I got a verse. I want to read out of the book of Proverbs. Turn back with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 28. Proverbs 28. The verse very first verse of this chapter, Proverbs 28, verse number 1. I want you to see this. It took courage for Paul to leave Troas and go across the sea into Macedonia. It took courage for Paul to walk into Philippi and to cast that evil spirit out of that young lady and to be thrown in a jail cell and to sing praises unto God in the midnight hour. It took courage for him to say what he did to the jailer. But every time Paul has stood forward in courage and in faith, God has blessed it. What's this for you that you have a decision to make? You're trying to figure out what to do, praying about it. Maybe you've already done it, and the devil's attacking you. Proverbs 28.1, the Bible says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. I'm telling you, Paul was as bold as a lion. He was burdened for the city of Thessalonica, and he's as bold as a lion no matter what they've done to him, no matter what the attack is. And we go back now to our text. We've seen his gospel action. He's got resilience. We see number two, he's got a gracious attitude. He says our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. What does that mean? Paul's preaching. He's got motives behind his preaching. Oh yeah, I knew it. What's his motives? Well, his motives are not with deceit. They're not filled with hypocrisy. He's not preaching a lie. He's not preaching a false doctrine. He's not preaching erroneously. Says it's not of uncleanness. In other words, it's, it's pure what I'm preaching. It, it is not defiled what I'm preaching. I'm preaching you things that are not misleading. I'm preaching you things that are correct. I'm preaching you things that will make an eternal difference. I am not, and I put up quote marks, I am not like Jim Jones leading a mass number of people to their destruction. I'm preaching to you, not in guile. That means I'm not preaching out of self-gain. You know what I'm saying to you? He's not a phony. I've met a lot of people in my life, many counterfeits, many people that are phony. Paul's preaching, brother. His preaching, his, his motives are not counterfeit. His motives are Godward. His motives are under the call of Almighty God. He said, Look with me. In verse number four, there's a word picture here. And it's a word picture of a steward. It's stewardship mentality. What does a steward do? A steward is someone who may work for you. And you give that steward, you entrust them of everything of your household. And that steward, he's got your complete trust. He could cheat you. He could defraud. But listen, let me tell you something. That steward, if he's going to do his job, he's got to be found faithful. Paul, God entrusted Paul with the gospel Look, look what God gave him. He gave him a job. He called him to work for him, verse 4. But as we were allowed of God to be, tr- to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. Hey, Paul works full time for the Lord. Have you figured out yet that you may not just work at the factory where you work or out in the woods where you go or work building on that house? You know what? If you're saved, you're working for the Lord. You're working for him. And he's entrusted you with the gospel. And what are you doing with the message that he's given you? What are you doing with the word of God that he has put in your hand? How are you investing it? How are you using it in the lives of other people? The Bible said that he is not doing it to please men. i am gonna tell you something. We could do a lot of things here at Bethel to please men and draw a crowd. I could draw a huge crowd. Don't you think that those ideas don't go through my mind? Hey, we could do this, and we could do this, and we could do this. But that's pleasing men. Paul was not up to gimmicks. Paul was not up to pleasing men. Paul was pleasing God who called him, who will try the hearts, who will stand before and one day give an account for, of. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ has given us a stewardship, a responsibility. Look with me in verse 5. How he ministers in a selfless manner. Look at verse 5. For neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Look at Paul's conduct. Look at the man of God's behavior. Let's see if he's really a God-called man. If he's really a God-called man, you'll see it in his life. Not just hear what he's preaching, you'll see what he's preaching. He's living what he preaches. He said, I am not using flattering words. What are flattering words? Those are are words someone speaks when their heart feels another way. Trying to build somebody up to get what they want out of of them. Paul said, I'm not using flattering words. I'm not here to to find someone who's rich and some people who's wealthy. I'm not here to cater to what they want. I'm not into flattery. And he says, and I'm not using this as a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. He said, I'm not modifying the message. I am preaching what God called me to preach. And I'm not changing it for anybody. I don't care who you are. And I thank God for that. Amen? So many people nowadays trying to modify and water down God's message. I'll never forget years ago, I had stopped by the post office just to pick up the mail for the church. On a Sunday morning, As I just opened that little, that little, turned that little key to open that P.O. box. God said, that's what you're doing today. You're going to deliver my mail. Not just these envelopes and these letters, but you're going to deliver my message to my people. You're speaking as an instrument called from God to go share the message. And it's not popular nowadays to stand and preach. But you know what? We don't do it for men's applause. We don't do it for men's approval. We do it because one day we'll stand before God. Amen, and he's the one that's called us. Look with me, not only his conduct... But look at his commitment, verse number 6. Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Now he's saying the Lord commissioned me to go preach. And and he wants me to share the gospel. And as he goes to share the gospel, he says I am not asking for you to Support me or anything. He's a tent maker. He could go and work and do whatever he needed to do and come back. He's not chargeable to the people. He's not a burden on the people. He, 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 he's not even sitting here. He said, as, look with me in verse 6 again, as the apostles of Christ, he could have been. He's a bona fide, genuine apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he could have been, bur- but he said, I'm not going to be burdensome to you. I, I'm, I'm here to work for my own keep. That's what he says. Now look with me. In verse number 7, we see our third point. He has a a gentle approach. And this is what a pastor, there's preachers listening to me, this is what a pastor needs to be with your people. This is what you need to be with your people. You need to have a gentle approach. Verse number 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. What does that mean? Well, I believe he's got a concern. You think about a mother that's a nursing mother. You know what I mean. And she has a legitimate concern for that child. That child is waiting for the mother to meet its need. When it's hungry, it's going to let you know. And that mother, she has to nourish that baby. She has to care for that baby. That mother cherishes her baby. That mother is careful. She sacrificially imparts of her own sustenance for her baby, the genuine care a mother has for her baby. Paul says that's the way a pastor needs to care for his church. There are newborn babes in Christ in the church at Thessalonica being born again into a time of chaos, into a time of trouble, into a time of adversity. And Paul says they need someone who's going to care for them. Someone who's going to feed them the sincere milk of the word of God. He said you need to be gentle as a mother is. Read on with me verse number 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. Now, Now Paul knew. He said, you could easily turn people away from the loving Savior by not having loving actions. Easily done. And a church has to have love and care and concern one for another as a mother does a baby that is being nursed. And he said, I have been effectually desirous of you, been careful about you. Been concerned about you is what he says. He was only there three weeks of Sundays. And he said, we were willing to impart to you not the gospel only, but also our own souls. What about that? You know what? When when you preach, you're not only preaching the gospel, right? Well, that's all you got to preach. You are giving everything you are and God's called you to be to the people you're preaching to. You put everything you can into it. I mean, you pray, you study, hour after hour after hour, laboring, trying to receive a message from God, and then you give them what God gave you and your heart, your soul, every fiber of your being. I mean, these young men that God's called to preach in this church, what a blessing. And it would be my goal that I give them everything God gave to me, every amount of knowledge, every amount of wisdom, every amount of gentleness, every word of advice, every prayer I could... I can offer up to invest my life in them for the gospel's sake that they might go forward with the gospel. That's what Paul is saying. I'm that burden for you. I've got a a statement here, and I want you to see it. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I have a statement I want you to see. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Please turn there with me. You see, we're to love people not for what we can get out of them. We're to love people because we want them. We love them. We need them. We want to see their lives bettered. That's why we love people. Somebody leaves, you'll say, well, we're better off. No, you love people and you want people to be a part of the church. There's a statement, it's a phrase in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 12, and I dare say you've probably not got this underlined in your Bible. If you do, I commend you. But if you don't, I'm asking you to underline it right now. There's a statement. Look with me. It's in the middle of the verse. He says, I'm going to read the whole verse. Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome, burdensome to you. Here's our statement I want you to underline. For I seek not yours, but you. You want to talk about a message? I seek, not yours. He said, I'm not looking for your tithe. I'm not looking for your applause. I'm not looking for your glory. I'm not looking for your honor. I'm not looking for your praise. I'm not looking for what you can do. He said, I seek not yours, but you. You see, that's the way God came after you. You think God needs your tithe? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. What do you have to give him? He doesn't need your tithe. He's not after yours. He wants you. Boy, that's a real thought. And Paul is saying to the church at Thessalonica, Church, I don't want all these gifts and the things you can do and the things you have to offer. I just want you. And I want to invest in you. And I'm, I'm willing to sacrificially give, even of my own life, who I am, what God's causing me, even if I have to lay down my life for you. That's what Paul said he was willing to do. Now I want to go back to the first Thessalonians. Hearing that statement. We seek not yours, but you. Read again. Verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Why? Because you were dear unto us. Oh, we loved them. Can you truthfully say, Pastor, that you love your church? That you love them with every fiber of your being. It's not that you love the paycheck, not that you love the opportunity to get to preach. I'll be honest with you, the preaching part is not my favorite thing to do. My favorite thing is to pray, seek God's face. My my favorite thing is to see how he answers and what he does. And lifting people up in prayer and seeing God heal them and seeing God encourage them and seeing God bless them. Man, that thrills my soul to see what God does and see their youngins getting saved and see their prayer requests getting answered. I'm telling you, that's what thrills my soul. I, I love to preach, but I love to pray and seek God's face even better. I love to study God's Word. I, I want to give you everything God gives me. I don't just want to get a little message and then. Go riding off in the wild blue yonder and be done with it. You want to preach the gospel so that lives may be impacted, so that lives may be changed. We want to be meaningfully involved in one another's lives in the ministry. Look with me in verse number 9. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day. Well, just stop there. The word travail, that speaks of childbirth laboring, night and day. That, that speaks of, 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 the, of the work of the wife, the work of the mother, the, the work of the woman. Uh, you may get mad at me, fellas, but the truth of the matter is, for, for men, a lot of times your work is done during the times when the sun shines up. But our wives and the mothers, thank God, they, they don't even look at the clock. There's, their ministry at home is 24 hours a day. And Paul said... That our labor is day and night. Our, our burden is day and night. It's not a clock that we punch and say, well, don't call me after five. I'm, I'm after hours of the pastor and I'm off golfing now. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I travail, I burden over you. I, I labor day and night. He's also saying, again, I'm a tent maker. I'm not being burdensome to you. I can earn my own living and I can come back and preach. I'm not asking for anything. I don't want yours. I just want you. That's what he's saying. Again, verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. Remember, we identified out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what is the gospel? How that Jesus Christ died for our sins, amen, according to the scriptures and how that he was buried and that he was raised on that third day. Our Savior gave his life for our sins, and he's very much alive. So Paul is saying, I have a gentle approach. I love you, and I care for you as a mother does for a child that is nursing. That's his burden. So I'm thinking about another word picture here, right? We've seen one as a steward, that a a loyal steward, he's got to be truthful, well, there's another word picture here for a for a loving mother, amen. She's got to be tender. Well, let's just keep reading. Verse number 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblamably we have behaved ourselves among you that believe. Paul, as the man of God preaching to them, was without offense. He practiced. What he preached, I keep saying that, but but I'm just, I'm gonna ask you a question. Well, Preacher Darren, and I invite people to church and they say, they say there's hypocrites in the church. Well, I might ask that person that said that to me. Are you one of them? Are you the hypocrite they're not coming because of? You need to think about what they're saying to you. Somebody said to me one time, I've invited all the people I work with the church and they just won't come. Why won't they come with you? Is it because they know you go? Hello? Just being honest here, that that should be a consideration rather than you always pointing fingers at everybody else. You need to say, you, you need to listen to what they're telling you. It may be you that's the hypocrite that's hindering them from How many people in your family would come if you invited them? But the problem is they know how you live. How many of your Friday night friends that you hang out with, when you invite them to church, they going to come? Huh? They say, well, if you're going to church, why should I go? Because I can live like that here. Hello, y'all okay? How many people are you impacting because of your social media page? Now, don't you get on my social media page. You're supposed to be gentle as a mother nursing her child, and now you done took off on something. It's amazing when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, one of them will go, whoo, that's the one that got hit. I'm just asking, if you invite them, why are they not coming? Just something to think about. It's time that what you say about God matches the way you live. There needs to be a match for your life and your lip. And I'm telling you, we are one way during the week and we're another way when it's church time on Sunday. And I'm just saying there, we need to have a gentle approach. But we need to consider ourselves. Fourthly, and I'll be done. I see godly activity in verse number 11. And again, there's another word picture. We've talked about the steward. We've talked about the mother. There's another word picture here. It's it's a loving father and his toughness. Look in verse 11. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Okay, so let's talk about that. Talked about the steward being truthful. And we've talked about the mother being tender. Now he's got the father being tough. Now, the first word he uses is the word "exhort." How we exhorted. The Greek word is the Greek word "parakaleo." It means to come alongside. It means to uh, to instill value. It means to strengthen. He says, "As a father does his children, I pull up beside you to exhort you, to to instill value, to strengthen you." To To help you, if you will. He gives another word um, in verse number 11. He uses the word comfort. He comforts his children. You know, a father, a father speaks to his children. He encourages them. He, He listens to them, at least he should. A father should listen to his children. He needs to be compassionate. He needs to be dependable. He needs to be supportive. Was Paul that to that church? Was he a good listener? Was he supportive? Was he dependable? Was he faithful? Was he honorable? Was he a good example? I think a father ought to be the example that he expects his children to live by. Don't you try to put something off on your kids that you're not doing yourself. That's just not fair. They're not going to abide by it because they see You do one thing, but they hear you say something else. And they can't hear what you're saying because your actions are louder than what you're saying. That goes on in our churches too. The reason people won't come is the pastor is not living the message he's proclaiming. God help. How in good conscience could a pastor get in a pulpit to preach the word of God with a conscience that's not clear that he doesn't love his people, he doesn't care about his people, that he's not burdened for his people. Dear Lord, what kind of pastor? Son, you need to get out of the pulpit and let somebody else get in it that will care. I'm telling you, we've got to get to that place. This father, he's an exhorter. This father, he's a comforter. He's an encourager. Listen, he's someone who who, uh, provides for his children. He protects his children. He's doing all that he can Uh, to be a blessing to them. And he uses another word, and charged every one of you. The word charged means that he teaches you and then he warns you. He instructs you and then he warns you. Well, preacher dear, there's the problem, this warning business. I don't like this warning. Note with me that the warning, the charge, comes after the exhortation. It comes after the comfort. What he's saying is the relationship is already established. And when you have a relationship established and love is known between mutual parties, then you can lay down the discipline and the warning. Amen. A father needs to be the one to bring discipline into the home. He needs to be the leader there. In my opinion, amen, I believe the word of God. You see, here's the thing. We love that fact about a we ought to be gentle as a mother nurses her children. We see that. But dear Lord, the baby doesn't stay nursing forever. It's time that some of us quit being coddled. And we get faithful. And we get challenged to be faithful. We get encouraged to be faithful. And we get warned what it's like, what's going to happen if we're not faithful. Amen? And a father, he does that. Verse 12, and I'll quit. Why? Why? Why the father that exhorts, comforts, and charges his family that you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. God wants you to be His children. And he wants you to be his children, not just in the church. Oh, it's important that you come to church. But he wants you to be his children out there in the marketplace and in the the culture in which you and I live. He wants you to be his children, that you would walk worthy of God. Boy, I'm unworthy. But he saw enough in me to lay down his life. I know the Olympics are on right now, and I thought about, I was reading... In 1992 in Barcelona, there was a young man that was running, I believe it was the 400 meters, and as he was running for Great Britain, he pulled his hamstring, and he pulled up lame, and he tried to limp, but finally he got to where he couldn't even move, and everybody else went right by him, and the cameras went by, and then when they showed the finish of the race, they went back to that guy, and there he was, still, he was was determined he was going to finish, and the unthinkable happened. Somebody jumped out of the stands. And he ran across the track and he put his arm around the boy and he helped the boy go all the way to the finish line. And the cameras, I couldn't believe they allowed, and the cameras went to where he was. Turns out it was his father. You see, it's what a father does when his children pull up lame and they can't finish because, ever what happened? man, they'll put a loving arm around them and they'll encourage them and they'll help them to get to the finish line. Youngins, that's what we need as a pastor. That's what we need as a brother and as a sister. That's what we need. We need to be meaningfully involved in one another's life to put our arm around each other, to say, I'm praying for you. We can make it. Let's go together. I saw another runner one time as they were running pull-up lane and the one behind them stopped and saw them trip, stopped, picked them up, and gave up winning for themselves, and they crossed the finish line together. Youngins, that's what it's about, loving one another, becoming involved in one another's lives. And Paul, Apostle Paul, was involved, though he only preached there three Sabbaths, or three three Sabbaths, though he was now removed to Athens, and he's in Corinth as he writes this letter, He has such a burden for them still. He's praying for them. On your prayer list, do you pray for your church? Or you just assume it's always going to be here? Honey, I'm telling you, it's a privilege to have a place where we can come and worship. It's a privilege where we can have a place that's set aside where we can hear the gospel, a privilege for a place that's set aside where we can come in here and say, well, glory to God, bless his holy name. He's been good to me. Hey, the world, get away from the world's distractions and get in the house of God and praise him and serve him and love him and honor him and glorify him and magnify his holy name. We ought to be thankful and we ought to become meaningfully involved what God is doing Father I thank you tonight for the word of God and for the challenge of this text Lord as we look at 1 Thessalonians we're thinking about being prepared for the second coming and this church at Thessalonica is a church that's prepared they're becoming involved in one another's lives they're involved in witnessing and and seeing lives changed in the city in which they live. God, they were not lazy. God, they were living in a time of great adversity. Lord, they were working and you blessed the labor of their love. God, I pray you'd touch Bethel. and God, you'd help our sister churches. That God, we'd become meaningfully involved in the ministry at this church and in one another's lives. God, not to be putting our nose in other people's business, but God, to be a blessing And to be praying and seeking your face. Lord, we love you now. And we thank you for this opportunity in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen.